Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey everyone, it's Claire here. I have a quick programming note before you listen to this show. I misspoke and wanted to correct something that I said because we try our best to be factual with this podcast. We spoke about right to work states. And in the show, I said that right to work states mean you are not allowed to unionize. And I was wrong. And I am sorry I said that. What I meant to say is that when a state becomes a right to work state, that employees are not forced to join a union as part of employment. It's not compulsory. So I wanted to make that distinction. In Texas, you can join unions, same for Wisconsin, but you are not required to do that to be an employee at that specific place if they have a union. So just wanted to clear that up. All right, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot. We are very excited to have you here. My name is Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And you have joined us for our mini episode in our elections series. Is that right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> I had a double check <laughs> that is in, my, right. in my brain. Um, for this episode, we are going to discuss a podcast show that we listened to called The Run Up. And I discovered this show because I listened to The Daily, which the New York Times produces, and they had a super relevant show all about gerrymandering and redistricting in Wisconsin. So, Nicole, I can't get this guy's name right. Can you tell us the name of the host of the show? Yes. So the main reporter host was Ested Herndon. And then within the episode, you will hear him talking to Reed Epstein, who is a Wisconsin, a longtime Wisconsin political reporter. Yeah, this was a great show. I listened to it and I was like, Nicole, you have to hear this. And I have since been listening to the rest of the series. The run-up, I think it's an eight-episode show. Like it's like a separate show. The Daily is an ongoing show, um, but it's all about elections in America. And the specific episode about redistricting really caught my attention. So let's get into it. So um, Ested, uh as Nicole mentioned, is the host, and he has this conversation with Reed Epstein about what's happening in Wisconsin. It's really interesting. It sounds like this whole shift of power really happened when Scott Walker became the governor of Wisconsin, and I think it was 20... 2011. 2011. Thank you, Nicole. Um, He... He won as the Republican candidate, and a big thing that was being discussed at the Capitol was this this item called Act 10, and it was all about stripping away collective bargaining rights. So something I've heard a lot about recently as I've gotten more involved in politics is um, the right – wait, what was it called? Uh, collective bargaining power? Right to work states. That's what it is. Mm. Some states, uh, are, are they consider themselves – right to work state, which is a very weird phrase because it basically means you do not have the right to unionize. You're not allowed to unionize. Texas is a right to work state. Wisconsin is now a right to work state. Uh, But a lot of folks who are pro-union and all the benefits that come with being able to unionize were very upset that Wisconsin was seriously considering taking away that power from workers. 
But Scott Walker was like, this is my priority. And he pushed it through and it passed. Stop and there. And by the way, it was incredibly controversial, um, as you just described in Wisconsin. And so controversial that they had um, state workers, and I, I mean, I think all people who were protesting for uh, workers' rights were, they occupied the Capitol for two weeks. I mean, it was a big, big, big deal in Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, uh, something I remember that stuck out to me in the podcast was they were saying it was more advantageous for Walker to be a fighter for conservative values instead of someone who was responsible for the entire state. So typically, you know, with governors, they are the elect, they're, they're the executive representative for the whole state. Well, you would hope for the whole state, all the citizens. But Walker seemed to not view himself that way. He saw himself as a champion for specific values and specific people. And he, I guess, didn't really care about those who were uh, protesting those two weeks. And he had this um, ideology of when at all cost. And he was very, uh, committed to that and his take no losers approach worked in his favor, but really left a lot of Wisconsin's behind. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, interestingly, I haven't done a deep dive into Scott Walker's political past, but they did mention that he was a fixture of conservative radio, um, and that, yes, he ushered in this whole, what they called new politics in Wisconsin, which was exactly what you described, this zero-sum game where you only worry about what's good for you and bad for your enemies. And, and those that is the value base of what you do and how you do it. And it really has changed the face of Wisconsin. And I know we're going to go on and talk about the continued the implications of, yes, of the things that he and the legislature in Wisconsin have done. Um, but yes. also a quick note, because this might sound a little familiar to Texans, um, the Democrats fled so that the Republicans couldn't hold a vote um, on Act 10. They fled to Illinois, but that didn't actually slow them down a whole, whole lot. Um, they went after the Democrats. They did wind up coming back and thinking, though, I, I, I got the feeling that maybe they would have some sort of bargaining chip because it, they'd like sort of demonstrated how far they were willing to go. But um, absolutely not. They still pushed the same legislation through. Yes, it very much reminded me of what happened here in Austin, um, something we've talked a lot about a lot in the podcast, especially regarding voting rights and elections is SB8. Gosh, I hope I'm getting that right. Or is it SB1? I know, The right? one that made it harder together. to vote. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I, I'm okay. thinking I'll SB1, well, Claire, but I will look it up as you talk about it. <laughs> there were two big ones, SB8 mm-hmm. and SB1. I'm sorry, folks, if you're like screaming it into is the, yes, SB8, I think was the one that was the, the to- almost total near abortion ban. The, the both, the two very controversial Senate bills. <laughs> okay. So yes, SB1 was when, as Nicole was mentioning, our legislators were like, wow, this is so egregious what they're trying to do to strip away voting rights that they fled the state. And it worked to a degree. They were able to run out the clock for the legislature. But then the governor called a special session and everybody came back and they were able to pass something that looked close to what the Republicans wanted. So, yeah, it was an interesting parallel. Like, oh, other capitals do this, too. And it's interesting. uh, Uh, It's what you got, I guess. 
I, um, I mean, so it's really interesting to look at, yeah, when you are desperate for any sort of bargaining power, what you wind up having to resort to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing that the episode moved into was how the Republicans, once they controlled the state house and the governorship, moved to in- further entrench their power. And the big way that they did this was through, no surprise here, if you've been listening, gerrymandering. They had to redraw the state lines for the districts. And this, it sounds like it was done very quickly in secrecy, behind closed doors, and when they called for a vote, they had the numbers. They didn't really seem to give much mind to the dissenting voices, and they passed these maps, and people were like, what just happened? Yeah, and I made a note just because it was so shocking, the the speed at which they made all of this happen, right? So the maps were designed in secret, exactly like you said. Apparently, they were presented on a Friday, which, I mean— Everybody just sort of register, right? What happens in most places of business on a Friday, right? That's when you sort of toss in those things that are supposed to be uh, barely thought about, right? So they were they were um, presented with the new maps on a Friday. Wednesday was the debate day. And then by Tuesday, they were supposed to pass. And, and that is what happened. So that quickly, barely, I mean, just a little over a week for new district maps in a state. That's insane how quickly that happened. It's yes, it, and they said that uh, the men on the the host on the show were saying that it was impossible for Democrats to win a majority, let alone compete, because of the way that these districts were drawn. And something that I thought about listening to this show is I talked about how a lot of the Democratic areas in Wisconsin are, again, no surprise, in the cities. So what they did is they packed all those voters in, oh, those uh, city-dwelling voters into districts, and they just concentrated the vote as much as they could. You might recall in our episode with Charlie Bonner, we talked about packing and cracking, and I was like, this is it. This is what they did. So even though in the next, I think it was the next election cycle, the Democrats won the majority of the vote, they did not win the majority of the state house seats seats because they couldn't. They did yeah. you get the number? And it it's ridiculous. staggering. Yes. So Obama won by seven points, right? But then sixty of the seventy-nine seats were won by Republicans. 60 of the 79 was it, I thought it was 99. I might have to look at the transcripts for the show. Okay, okay. They no. won more than half, up, which people. is... <laughs> yeah. They won more than half, which is crazy because, again, it was the Democrats that won the majority. And we would like to think that in a democracy, our vote counts. And you would think whoever gets the most votes will have more power. But that's not the way... It happened because of the very uh, specific map drawing that happened. Um, Oh, my God, Claire. Thank goodness for your ears, by the way. Let's go ahead and correct that. Nicole definitely misheard. That was 60 of 99 (laughs) seats. Thank you for that correction. I was confident in my 79. But no, everybody, it was 60 of 99. Uh, Yeah, I wasn't sure either. I was like, "Eh." all right, great. We got that check um yes but the point being that they just they weren't winning the number of seats that they should have to reflect those who actually came out and voted 
and what the Democrat or what the Republicans said when challenged, like, how, how can you do this? How can you gerrymander this way? They were like, well, they're just if the Democrats just appealed more to, to rural voters, they would get more seats, but they don't speak to those voters or their values. So they lose. And it was interesting because um, they weren't blaming the maps as the problem. It's the platform that's the problem. And part of me was like, okay, let me think about this. I don't think that's true. Well, I think there's probably a, like a tiny nugget of truth in that. Thinking about our conversation with uh, Claire and Stephanie from Blue Horizon, I wondered to myself, did they have Democrats running in these rural areas? Did they like even give a fighting chance to win some of these votes back? Were they speaking to these voters? So there may be, I don't know that the platform wasn't right. Maybe the communication wasn't happening, but it did make me pause and think. I mean, uh, I don't believe blaming, like like just just missing these maps was like, <laughs> oh yeah, of course. But I did pause and wonder what the landscape was of of like the ballots out there. Did you think about that, Nicole? I mean, I did. I think it's it's a really it's a really clever misdirection. I guess that's my thought about it. Because here's the thing. Um, I mean, I know in conversations we've had lately, I really have been, of course, considering it's so interesting to me when people play a strategy game versus a platform game, right? Like if you can't right. sort of win over your constituency by creating a platform that is responsive to them. And then when you see people switch tactics and then just change their strategy so that they can sort of win no matter what, I think that says a lot. And so it's like, it, 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 it's interesting to me that they made a map in secret. They gave barely any time to debate it. They were clearly had a very um, quick plan to push it through. And then now talk about how Democrats just can't appeal to rural voters. And I would say mm, that feels disingenuous right? Because they, they created a whole yeah. process shrouded in secrecy and rushing. And to me, that just doesn't speak to people who are actually concerned with their constituency and their voters. It feels to me as if they're playing a strategy game. But again, sure, yes, absolutely, representatives oh, yeah. should be responsive to their <laughs> constituency. I just feel like that is completely insincere because of the other tactics. Yeah, that they I agree that it's insincere. Yeah, but but I think there's always it's the things that have like a little nugget of truth where you're like, oh, maybe. And of course, I like exactly. to give people it's the super benefit of the doubt. So I have to stop and think. <laughs> Yes. Um, and the thing that we have to it's tough, remember, right? It's not people, wrong. Uh, what they're saying isn't wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the truth of the matter is who is voting in the primaries? Like, as we've come to learn, so much decision making happens at the primary level. And that is not the turnout you see in, um, ge not general elections. Um, my, my midterm presidential, there's 
perhaps a word for not primaries. <laughs> anyway, very, very few people show up for primaries. And that's where we're starting to get more and more extreme candidates. And when you go vote in November, and you're looking at the ballot, you don't see Republican super duper extreme, you just see Republican, and you probably assume, oh, whatever, like, this is more of what I've aligned myself with in the past. So I'm going to check that box, not knowing that they could be doing things you do not agree with. But that takes so much more, you know, education. And it's hard to keep up with all this stuff. So we don't blame those folks necessarily. Oh, absolutely not. This is such an insider's game that they're playing. It's it's so strategic and tricky and requires such uh, a level of of back knowledge about how all of this works that, yeah, I mean, for the average voter, for me, if I lived in Wisconsin, I mean, I, I would imagine trying to understand the ins and outs of how all this happened. My goodness gracious, it's complex. Uh, it sure is. So then after Scott Walker won, there was this move, I think, to create the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. Do you remember this part, Nicole? Um, I do. And this is where I think it was Obama. Yeah, Obama and, and I want to say Eric Holder. They got together, and I'm sure some other people, and were like, we have to help these other states that are becoming much, much less competitive, not because people aren't voting, but because they're changing the rules of the game, basically. And a lot of money was pour, poured into the governor's race when Scott Walker was against up. He was up when Scott Walker was running against Tony Evers. Got it. <laughs> so Tony Evers was the <laughs> Democratic candidate, and he did end up winning that race. Oh, but here's the crazy part. So Tony Evers wins in November, and he's not sworn in until January. Well, between November and January, the conservative Republican legislature, I hope that they're called a legislature. We're using that word. Well, it's the assembly. They can, but yeah, the assembly, thank you. They convene, and they decide that they are going to strip away a lot of the powers that the governor has, a lot of appointing appointment powers and purse string powers, and they're going to pass them off to the assembly, to themselves. So when Evers is actually sworn in, he basically only is left with veto power. And I heard that, and I was like, oh, whoa, another move, a very another unfair move. Uh, my jaw dropped. <laughs> when I listen to it, I, I, I'm, I clearly, I feel like I keep w winding up in that space where I can barely find words because the trickery is so, is so uh, diabolical is the word that comes to mind. I'm trying not to be too yes. um, inflammatory, but I mean, I, that is not something I would have ever prepared for, thought of. I I had I did not honestly realize until listening to this episode how deep some of these strategic games can go. So yeah, mm -hmm. stripped the governorship of most of its power. So that yes. when Tony Evers took office, yeah, he was what they kind of, didn't they call him a lame duck governor? Well, they may not have. I but. Th mm -hmm. That's what he effectively yeah. was. Close enough. And the 
Yeah, and the person who was behind this move was a man named Robin Voss. He is or was, not sure, the assembly speaker, and he was very much behind the Act 10 fight, and he had this philosophy of political power at all costs. He didn't really care about public opinion. He cared about winning the way he wanted to win, and the thing that made me feel crazy was like y'all are public servants you have to care about public opinion because you are responsible to the public but the thing is and they made a point of this in the podcast episode that these legislatures whatever assembly people (laughs) like robin voss and scott walker were moving away from this idea of i'm a representative of wisconsin into one of i'm a representative of mike my voters and that was kind of it. That was definitely, that was it. Yeah. And I will say just quick little side note. I looked up Robin Voss because I, I was actually trying to clarify what his position was. And I, you know, I just kind of missed it in the podcast. And as exactly as you said, he was the assembly speaker. Um, and, but it, it had a current article about him. So he's in it a little bit of hot water recently. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they've had to submit some uh, Freedom of Information Acts and and sued him, too, for missing emails um, having to do with the 2020 election. So, yes, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that Biden won Wisconsin by a a pretty large number. I can't remember the number of votes, and Nicole is not going to misspeak like she usually does. (laughs) But um, (laughs) despite the, the margin which was significant. Um, he apparently had been up to some things. So yeah. Anyway, well, there I you mean, go. There's Robin. Way, Boss. Yeah. It's not surprising. Okay. I don't want to say. Yeah. I guess it's not surprising that he would maybe do some not so ethical things when he, 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 him and the folks who are working with him are allowed to pass policies in the dark. You know, transparency is no longer something that's necessary in the process. I mean, you learn, I can do these things carte blanche until you can't, but this is why we need a better system that has checks and balances. And speaking of checks and balances, the podcast next moves into this, well, they move into the midterm elections and how the argument to voters in Wisconsin now during this current cycle is vote for us or it could get worse. <laughs> like they kind of know, yeah, we're not going to take power back. Are you kidding me? We're just trying to like hold back the floodgates. And that is not very compelling to some people because it's like, uh, what? Like it's hard to imagine what worse is when you're just living your life. And we sort of touched on this in our show, previous shows, just this apathy that you feel. And it's so understandable when you do go out there and vote, you do get the majority, and you still don't get the power. And people are eventually going to be like, sounds like you're crying wolf. And I'm just like, tired. Like, I'm going to stay home. Stop running out the house. Yeah, well, what's really interesting is how these tactics for for the the types of politicians that we're talking about here, like I'll just specifically say a politician like Robin Voss, is that he sort of wins any way this we look at this. In other words, like he wins on in a strategic way. So he literally wins 
but he also wins by creating this voter apathy that makes people feel disempowered and want to check out. And so then he's, they still, guys like Robin Boss get to just grab onto that power and hang on to it. And the thing is that's I find incredibly disturbing is that from every description and everything that I have now read and understand about Robin Voss and politicians like him is that um there there is no there's no kind of hand wringing about that. There's no sense of accountability to people. There's no belief in that a democracy should reflect the people that it serves. Like I he seems completely unapologetic and perfectly satisfied with the way that things are working Mm -hmm. because he has power and will be able to stay in power despite the fact that so much of it is based on strategy and trickery. It is not about actually surveying Wisconsin's. Um, And I just, it is deeply, deeply disturbing. It is. I, I, yeah. And I feel like if that's the way you feel being a different industry, like please don't go into politics because I want to believe that these people are public servants first and care about, well, like we talked about with Claire and Stephanie from Blue Horizon, what do we want from our elected officials? We want them to solve problems. Well, they're not going to be motivated to solve these problems if their mission is to concentrate power. It's, it's not about power for power's sake. It's about power to improve the lives of people, right? I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> but... It is disturbing to think about how some people view what political power means. And mm-hmm. wow, wow, wow. Are we ready? The, the One of the last things that Estad said really like felt like a dagger to the heart when he said, this is what democracy looks like. I was like, no, it doesn't. I yeah. was so upset, but I had to like actually kind of really take that in and think about what he was saying. Yeah. And I guess he's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and towards the end of the show, they talked about how beyond the midterm, the next big race that everyone is looking towards is the Supreme, a, a specific Supreme court seat. And whoever wins this seat will sway the Supreme, the Wisconsin Supreme court, court either I can't talk today sorry people either more conservative or more liberal progressive so lots of money is being poured into this election also though in the background you have people who are already starting to spin this narrative of well our elections aren't that secure anyway so let's say that the progressive candidate wins you cannot you can already like doubt their legitimacy because that line of thinking has been put forth ahead of votes even being cast. Um, And they were also saying, let's say that Evers doesn't win the governorship. The next governor is very likely to do things that will make it harder to vote and make it easier for the, for the justice that they want to take over that position. Ah! Well, because we, they were talking to, yeah, what, what could happen if a Republican governor is elected? Because right now in Wisconsin, they have um, a bipartisan state elections commission. Oh, yes. Which we don't even have. Um, and, um, but yes, so that potentially they could change that. And so they concentrate more power so that then some of that, or not some of it, all of it gets put into a, an appointed position or a partisan one, but they could 
they could change that. So mm-hmm. there is still, there are still ways that they can continue to amass power. Yes. And just to quickly point out, the person that Tony Evers is running against is Tim Michaels. That's the name of his challenger. Um, and he has said out loud that they are intending to, yeah, work on getting rid of this bipartisan committee. So believe them, you know, when they say that. But uh, clear, uh, these people <laughs> are fast, strategic. They mean what they say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely believe them. Oh, something else we have to talk about is, oh, this is just like makes me so sad. So obviously the cities have to deal with more <sighs> issues, right? Like crime and the cities want to deal with that. Like Milwaukee, I think is the biggest city in w- Wisconsin and they're trying to come up with solutions to hire more pol- police officers. Well, you need money for these things. So taxes fund the government. Okay. Uh, so they want to maybe raise sales tax or just find some mechanism to increase revenue. Well, in order to do these things, they have to ask permission of the assembly. And the assembly says, no, you can't do that. And then the assembly folks who are telling them no go and say there's all this crime in the cities and they're not taking care of their citizens and they're and then the folks in the cities are like we're trying but you won't give us permission so it's this manufactured problem that can't get solved because of the assembly folks and it's another just like really depressing point for Wisconsin folks who are just like solve our problems yeah please i mean Right. Imagine you're a citizen of Milwaukee and you've watched crime increase around you and you're questioning why in the world don't we have more police officers or why don't we have solutions to this? Um, but who in the, are you actually able to pay attention to or follow all the ins and outs of the and how do we raise sales tax that in orders, you know, that helps us to raise our budget to be able to increase our law enforcement? And who is the person who has permission to do that? I mean, it is so complicated and they are absolutely using those complexities to their advantage mm-hmm. and create yeah. more problems, blame problems on the wrong people to completely capitalize on yeah problems that they are, if not creating, they're perpetuating and not allowing to be solved. It was mind blowing and mind boggling. Yeah. You have to really be paying attention to understand this like shadowy behind the scenes game that's being played. And it's just like so depressing as someone who believes in public institutions and that something should not be privatized, but should be left to the public sector, but they have to be funded properly to function well. And the fact that they are just stuck with their hands tied behind their back and they can't do anything. And then they and then they also get the blame for not doing anything. But they're like, I want to fix this. <laughs> ah, I can't believe it. Um, but one of the, yeah, one of the last thoughts I had listening to this show, and who knows if this could happen, but here in Texas, we have a competitive governor's race. And I was thinking to myself, what if Beto actually did win? And then we have, you know, SD, uh, Republican-controlled legislature, what if they pulled the same stunt in Wisconsin and just got rid of all his powers? Because as we mentioned a lot 
when we talked about the different elected offices, the governor appoints a ton of folks for different government bodies in Texas. What if they were like, no more appointments and no more discretion over calling special sessions or whatever it is. And, and maybe our Texas constitution prevents us. So I could be talking about things that couldn't come to pass, but if there was some game they could play, I bet they would. So, yeah, I will say that, of course, it, it was disturbing in its own sake, right? I, I feel for people who live in Wisconsin. Um, but, but, of course, and step two for my brain was, and what does this mean for Texas? And I definitely wondered about what shenanigans could take place if Beto is elected, you know, then between November and January. Um, but you know what I just remembered? was that when we went to TribFest, I did attend um, a panel discussion with Dade Phelan. Or it wasn't a panel discussion. It was actually a one-on-one between Evan Smith. Uh, for anybody who reads the Texas Tribune, um, I don't know that he is still the CEO of the Tribune, but at one time was, and he does a lot of major interviews, um, used to do it for Texas Monthly. Anyway, it was between Evan Smith and Dade Phelan, who is the Speaker of the House here in the Texas house. I will say he did reference many times that he believes that all voices should be heard. So I am going to put a lot of stock and Take a, a lot of hope <laughs> that he was yeah. speaking the truth and that he is a man of integrity and that he meant what he said. So yes. that is what I'm going to hang on to. He also he seemed incredibly knowledgeable. That, so that's good. He didn't have to say that. He did not have to say that. And he seemed deeply knowledgeable about the ins and the outs so it, uh, of how everything works. So let's just, I'm going to have hope. I'm going to have hope in, in Dade Phelan. Right? I mean, we've got to put it somewhere. Well, yes. I, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's like, let's, let the people's voices be heard. You know, we have a representative democracy. And when we vote for our representatives, let them do their job. Don't take away their power. Don't move the goalposts. That's not fair. Whether it's Republicans in control or Democrats in control, make a compelling case to the people and let that decide where the chips fall. This, you know, it feels like cheating makes me mad that's not fair you know so whatever we can do to shine light on this and make people aware of what's happening in other states i think helps us as texans be more on our toes for what could be coming i as disturbed as i was and as upset i did think it was so important to just understand the tactics that are happening around the country just i needed Mm -hmm. i think to understand how how things have worked in other places. So it was really informative. Yeah. Yes, it's super important because some of these Repo- uh, Democratic uh, elected officials seem very flat-footed when this stuff was happening. So you got to know <laughs> what they can do uh, and hopefully have an offense or a defense. It's sad that it has to be that way, right? You would think that they would work together and that's, I think, the sad um, legacy of someone like Scott Walker is that he had no interest in building bridges and working across the aisle. And we see more and more of that now. But I believe at the end of the day, most Americans do want 
problems to get solved? Do you want elected officials to figure it out? You know, go through that mess. Don't close your ears to someone who you don't like because that that's not that's not how this works. That's that's just not effective. And that's what I 100 percent. Yeah. Final word just will be about democracy. Right. Is that the truth is like if these tactics had been used by Democrats in Wisconsin, I would be just as disturbed. Right. This, again, is not about partisanship. This is about um, a fair playing field where everybody has agreed on the rules and is playing by the same rules. That's ultimately and leave the what rules. This is, yeah. This Don't is be about. like, I'm just going to change them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay, we could go on yes. and on. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> and we hope Thanks you listen to this episode because I think that you will find it interesting. Uh-huh. You'll love it. And just the whole series is great, especially if you like what we're doing and you want to like keep following that trail. Tune in to the run up. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.